So let's hear the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he, was, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Lord, we do thank you that, um, that when we pray, we're not just speaking in the air, but we're talking to you by your spirit. So, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word. We pray that it will transform our lives and we leave here um, making the world a little brighter and making our hearts um, more secure in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just as a reminder... The Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians who had been severely persecuted for their faith, um, for their faith in Jesus Christ as the only Savior of sinners. Remember, they're coming from the Jewish synagogues. They were professing that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was, is the King, and that he was crucified for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. He lives. And for this, they were persecuted. They were kicked out of the synagogues. Because the world will have none of that teaching and belief in Jesus Christ like we believe. He can be a great teacher, but he cannot be the only Savior of sinners and God himself. So the Jewish synagogue rejected Jesus as Messiah and Savior. And at that time, they persecuted all who followed Jesus Christ, following, calling it the way. And the Romans persecuted the Christians, these particular Christians in particular, because when they left the Jewish religion, they were no longer part of the protected religion of the government. And they refused to worship Caesar by calling him Lord. So they stood apart in some pretty um, difficult ways for their culture to deal with at the time. So this letter was written to a group of Christian believers living in a world quickly turning upside down for them. And the only thing that was causing them problems was really their Christian faith. And so they wanted to leave their problems behind. All they had to do was to leave Christ behind. So many of them were thinking about leaving the faith. Many of them already had left the faith, had left the church. And so the author of Hebrews writes uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit to that church and in turn to us that we too might hear the message that God has for Believers, for all time to grow the church, that we would all know what it takes to be able to persevere, to be able to endure. And what Hebrews tells us, it is faith in Jesus Christ. In verse 23 again, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, that's interesting because by faith Moses, 
He didn't do anything. His parents did something. And it was by faith that his parents saved Moses from death. He was born in a very dark time uh, in Israel's history. He's living in, in Egypt. And his people, the, the Hebrews, as they were called at the time, were um, enslaved in Egypt. It was about 400 years after the time that Joseph had lived. You know the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. And um, he ends up going through a series of events orchestrated by God. And he ends up rising to the second in power behind Pharaoh in Egypt. And he even tells his brothers the famous verse that we use a lot, which was what you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So that we see God's sovereignty even in the difficult and sinful things that happen in our lives. But about 400 years has gone past the time of Joseph, and now there's risen in Egypt a king who does not know Joseph. And they think probably a, an outside force has come in and conquered. There's no historical, cultural memory of this thing. And all the new king, the new pharaoh sees are a bunch of people who aren't really Egyptian. They aren't really part of his people, and they're big, and they're powerful. And if another nation comes in to attack, they're liable to go and join that nation. And then what's going to happen to us? And so he thought, well, we need to do something with them. And so the first thing that the new ruler did was he tried to work them to death. He made them slaves, and he tried to work them to death. And all they did, because God's hand was on them, they just got stronger and stronger and more numerous. So then his second plan was he commanded all the midwives to murder any male babies that were born. And so the midwives said... Well, we, by the time we get there, they've already had their babies. Hebrew women have their babies fast. <laughs> so, you know, they were lying. They were not going to do what the king, what the pharaoh had commanded them to do. And they were blessed for that. I even said that the, the midwives were midwives because they couldn't have their own children. And uh, God blesses them by enabling them to have their own children even in the midst of that and saving and protecting these other children. But then, that didn't work, so... Um, Pharaoh commanded all of his people. And in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So all the baby boys, the command was, take them, throw them in the river, kill them, drown them. And we think, well, that's horrible. That's the things of fairy tales. But it's not. It's history. And we also tend to think, well, man, people were very different back then. Thank God we're not like this now. Well, that's our problem, isn't it? Um, because it's hard to believe that our government did that. But you have to realize it's evil. It is demonic. It is absolutely demonic. It is Satan's attempt to wipe out the people of God. Revelation, Revelation tells us that. That was Satan's attempt to wipe out the people of God. He knows what's going on, and he knows how to manipulate people. And he had a pharaoh come into power that was worried about power and didn't like the Hebrews for some reason because he's motivated by Satan, and he goes in and is going to kill all the baby boys. It's ultimately to destroy Jesus before he could be born. But Moses' family, by faith, according to Hebrews, they hid Moses. For about three months, as long as they could. And then, and you're going to read about this in, in Exodus. Go and read it if you're not familiar with it. But they put Moses in what they call a small ark. It's a little boat. They make him out of, out of reeds, and they push him out into the Nile. And he is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. 
Um, and Pharaoh ends up, Pharaoh's daughter ends up adopting this baby and hiring Moses' mother to be the wet nurse, to be able to nurse and be, gives Moses back to his mother to, to raise him. So he's raised in a faithful home. But then he's raised in Pharaoh's house, the daughter of Pharaoh. So God had a plan, and God works in the most remarkable ways. But Moses' parents defied the orders of the government. They defied it. Now, they could have gone to Romans if they had the time and said, we're to submit ourselves. But Scripture doesn't contradict itself. So we can say, what about Romans? And so we can see there, is, there are times when Christians have, will, and must disobey the edicts of the king because the government at that time was evil, and commanded evil. And then, this often happens. Governments command evil. Christians have had to refuse to obey the government because the government requires Christians to disobey God. God is the highest power. So if you're in the military, your highest commander is the one he can contradict all other orders. You obey the highest command. Jesus, God, is king. And he tells us to be subject to the powers because they're ministers of God. But when they begin to behave in ways that are no longer ministering to God but ministering to Satan, then the Christian is put in a very difficult situation. And this is why nations refuse, totalitarian nations, fascistic, fascistic, fascistic nations stomp out Christianity as soon as they see it coming because they can't have people thinking independently and having some higher ideal than that of the state or the government. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament. His three friends were in Babylon. And the, he and his friends. And the, the king commanded that everyone bow down and worship uh, before his statue. And I was it's just, let's, I'm going to read it fast. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was six cubits and the breadth six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the government. All the force, all the people of the government were there. Verse 3, then the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and it, that's how you know there were Scottish people there, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, King, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so if you know how it ends, they get thrown into the fiery furnace. And there's another person in there with them. We see a prefiguring of Jesus Christ, and they're saved. But they disobey the king because he commands ungodly worship. And then the birth of Christ, the first Christmas. We also see what happened with Moses. We see this demonic strategy again. So if you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. So we make the connections between Moses and between Jesus. Lots of connections between Moses and Jesus. But in Matthew 2, 16, Herod, who was the king in the area, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. Bethlehem and all the coastal regions, everywhere around there, all the commanded, all the male baby, baby boys, two years old and under, commanded them to be killed. And they were, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. But Mary and Joseph are warned by an angel, and they escape. But it's a demonic strategy. Again, see it again. I mean, how can you call it anything else but a demonic strategy? A tactic to destroy Christ, to destroy human beings, image bearers of God. Satan hates God in anything that reflects his glory, and human beings are created in the likeness and image of God and the church, believers, are even worse because we're being transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. So how much more is Satan going to be after stomping out the light of Christ that shines in the church? In John 10.10, Jesus calls Satan the thief. And he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He says, but I have come that they may have life. And have it abundantly. As he's speaking to a group of non-believing Jews, he says to them, why do you not understand what I'm saying? And there are many today that don't understand what, what he's saying. And he tells them why they don't understand. He says, it's because you cannot hear my word. And he tells them why they can't hear. Because you are of your father, the devil, 
and you want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Word of Christ. Murderer from the beginning. So we wonder how far back that actually goes. So you know that he had Cain kill Abel. He had um, Eve to eat of the tree. The day you eat, you shall surely die. Whole human race. But God changes things with his mercy and sacrifice, ultimately, of his son. He killed all those Hebrew babies in Egypt. He killed all those babies in Bethlehem to kill Jesus. All those babies ordered to be killed by the government. And forced abortions in China from 1979 to 2015 and in North Korea. It happens. Happens today. This century. This many places even now. Large government forcing these things. It's satanic. It's demonic. It's what happens. 62 million and counting in the United States. Government doesn't force it. But government sanctions it and often now even encourages it. And people fighting, fighting to do anything and everything to protect the murder of unborn children. They have to be able to have that as health care options. It's demonic. It can't be anything else. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But Moses' parents had faith and they risked their lives to save their baby. But today in 2020 in our country, people who call the name of Christ, people who call themselves Christians, people who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, people who eat at Christ's table, support government officials who support abortion. It's demonic. Christians who support abortion. It's demonic. It's evil. I understand the deception. I was deceived at one time too. This is a deception. It's a clear deception. Um, there's forgiveness. There's hope. But we can't look at Moses and we can't look at Jesus and we can't see what happened and go, it's horrific that a king killed the babies. It's just as bad for one not to try to stop it or for the church to give approval of a king or any sort of leader who would give official sanction to it. The judgment of God does not wait forever. This is not my political opinion. This is the word of God. If you want to argue with me about this, you're arguing with the word of God. I, this is, I stand on it and I won't compromise with it. And here's what I fear for the church. That we don't realize that our country is becoming like Moses' Egypt. It's becoming like the Bible's Rome. A king coming to power who knew not Joseph. And I'm not talking about Biden. I'm talking about all our government. Increasingly, increasingly secular, which means godless. That's what the word means. Increasingly godless. And that will lead to worship. Always leads to worship. Where does it lead to worship? Look biblically, look historically. Who will we be called to worship? Now, Christians will say Satan. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Satan's more subtle. He calls us to worship 
the leaders, the government. A leader will rise to power. I'm not talking about the Antichrist. I'm just talking about, look at history. You will bow down and you will worship me. Come to me and I'll set you free. And that's what we look to increasingly today. Who do people worship and turn to? The government. The church gets fussed at. If the church was doing its job, the government wouldn't have to. Demonic lie. The government jumped in and started doing stuff that the church cannot compete with because we don't go out and steal everybody's money to give it to other people. We actually get involved in somebody's life that is hurting and needs help. They don't care. They lavish money at it. Throw it. We're not going to do that. I'm supposed to compete with that as a church? When I have people that call here and ask for money, and when I start to suggest that maybe we won't give it to it, and I'm cussed out on the phone because I'm supposed to be a Christian, it's demonic. We need to wake up. It's a, it's a bad darkness that's descending upon us. And we're, you know, it's like the Titanic's going down and we're rearranging the furniture on the decks. But you have to look at the faith of Moses and what he did. So look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, thank God he got to grow up. A lot don't. 62 million and counting in our country, gone. But when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Title. He gave up title. That's privilege. Anything he wanted, anything he commanded, he could have had it. He gave up title. 25. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He had it. Anything he wanted. Any sinful pleasure he wanted, he had it. Diet Coke, it appears. Whatever he wants, not that Diet Coke's so sinful, but anything he wanted, any sinful or non-sinful thing he wanted, and he said, no, that I can't have that. I choose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He considered the reproach of Christ, which is interesting because he didn't know Christ by name, but Christ was um, identifying with the people even then so that the reproaches that were falling on the Hebrews were falling upon Christ and he was with them even then. So he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Wealth, treasures, material blessing. He had everything he wanted at his command. It's like he had Amazon or something. He had a phone and he could order it and there it was. It was amazing. And he says, I'll, I'll give that up. In verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Just like his parents. They saved him because they weren't afraid of the king. And they had faith. Moses left Egypt. He left all that. Just like Jesus left his home in heaven and came to live with us. Moses left the dynasty. He left the king. He left the palace to become nothing to be mistreated with the people of God, and he left. There's nowhere left for us to go, and we're not called to leave. We're called to be salt, light, evangelist. Everywhere we go, we're to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This world is our home, but this world is also Egypt. This world is also so Rome. So we have to be aware of where we are and who we are and where we're living. Are we willing to separate from this world so radically? Because we haven't really had to yet. Not in this country. This country for a couple hundred years has been very friendly 
to Christianity. It's been very acceptable of Christianity. It's been even led by Christians for a long time in some ways. But listen to me. Unless the Lord sends a great revival, there's going, that is going to end very soon. If, if preachers aren't preaching this, they're, they're blind, lying, or asleep. If you don't believe this, you're blind, lying to yourself, or you're asleep. It is happening, and it's happening exponentially quickly. There are already clear Christian issues about which most Christians can only talk about in hushed whispers. And not just about abortion. It's still at least openly debated publicly, thank God. But anything to do with sexual sin, especially homosexual sin, is anathema in our society. Especially transgenderism, which is coming for your daughters. Prayer in public places has been attacked for a long time. But the church is to be light. The church is to be seen. Think about that as you're looking at Christmas lights. You're to be salt, preserving influence. But if we lose our saltiness, the Bible says we're not good for anything but to be trampled underfoot. Proverbs 13, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. We need to be prepared for what is most likely before us. And what are we afraid of? Following God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation is our call, and it will bring difficulties, and it will not be for the lighthearted or the feeble of faith. Many will fall away. Many will turn. Many will be gone. But may it be said one day, by faith, Second Street changed the world. Because this is where it begins. Not just our church, but others as well. We have to get on with growing our, getting our faith in order and building it up and being ready for difficulties. Satan, the world, and our own flesh will attack us on every front. And what will we do when the government doesn't do a thing to help and maybe even sanctions it and encourages it and when the media does all it can to make us look like the enemy, which it is looking more and more like. How will we stand? George Orwell said, the further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. How far is our society drifting from the truth? And that means you better not speak truth so boldly or loudly because you're going to be, as the Japanese say, the nail that sticks out will be struck by the hammer. So you better be prepared. How long will you stand? Are your feet planted firmly on the rock of Christ Jesus? Or will the first little storm knock us over? There is right, there is wrong, there is good, there is evil. And we have been enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin for far too long. We have enjoyed the title of American for too long. Our only title is to be Christ, Christian. And our boast is not to be in our possessions, but only in the cross of Christ. And it's only the cross of Christ, the gospel that will stand in the last day. Look at verse 26 one last time. It says, and then I want you to do is go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Because remember what Hebrews 11.1 1 begins by talking about this faith. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So how did Moses do it? How do you leave? 
opulence for persecution, knowingly. And it's because, in verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking to the reward. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then, verse 27, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you see God? Do you believe in his promises? Do we hope for these things? And then in verse 28, he provides salvation for God's people because he follows Jesus Christ and listens to God's word. He kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It's the gospel. We're going to come to the Lord's table. The blood of Christ, the, the body of Christ given for us. So what I'm to close with is there's a book. I think everybody read it. Live Not By Lies. It's by um, Rod Dreher. It's called A Manual for Christian Di- Di- Dissidents. And on page 162 and 3, this is what he says. A time of painful testing, even persecution is coming. Lukewarm or shallow Christians will not come through with their faith intact. Christians today must dig deep into the Bible and church tradition and teach themselves how and why today's post-Christian world with its self-centeredness, its quest for happiness and rejection of sacred order and transcendent values is a rival religion to authentic Christianity. We should also see how many of the world's values have been absorbed into Christian life and practice. Then we must judge how the ways of the world and its demands conflict with what Christ requires of his disciples. Are we admirers or followers, and how will we know? We will know when we act or fail to act as Christians when to be faithful costs us something. It may be a small thing at first a place on a sports team because we won't play on Sunday morning, or the respect of our peers when we will not march in a parade for a political cause. But the demands made on us will grow greater, and the consequences of, for failing to submit to the world's demands will grow more severe. As Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God suffered with humanity to redeem humanity. He calls us to share in his suffering. For our sake and the sake of the world, he promises us nothing but the cross, not happiness, but the joy of blessedness, not material wealth, but richness of spirit, not sexual freedom as erotic abandon, but sexual freedom within loving, mutually sacrificial commitment, not power, but love, not self-sovereignty, but obedience. This is the uncompromising rival religion that the post-Christian world will not long tolerate. If you are not rock solid in your commitment to traditional Christianity, then the world will break you. But if you are, then this is the solid rock upon which that world will be broken. And if those solid rocks are joined together, they form a wall of solidarity that is very hard for the enemy to breach. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, um, we pray for revival. Our job, our role is to bring about revival. 
It is to preach the gospel. It is to pray for the lost. It's to love our enemies. It's to be light. It's to be salt. It is to speak truth in love. But it's also to prepare the church for works of ministry. To minister to one another. To care for one another. To build one another up. To encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Because the day will come. So Lord, when it gets hard for us, in whatever way it will... We pray that our faith would be found strong, our feet planted on the rock of Christ Jesus, firmly in truth, not afraid of the king's edict, not afraid of the world's favor, not fearing man, not desiring wealth and prestige, or even the love of family and children, but that we consider the reproach of Christ to be of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. It's a difficult thing for us as humans to do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you transform us to be able to do impossible things like this. We're weak, we're feeble, we're jars of clay, but within that jar is a treasure. And it's the surpassing power of Jesus Christ. So as we approach headlong into Christmas, that this terrible year in our world, but you mean it for good. So we pray that your, our light would shine all the brighter as we charge headlong into hope and that the hope is Jesus Christ. And this we pray in his holy name. Amen. So let's all stand together as we sing. This song is written toward the end of the Civil War. Um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Let's sing together. It's hymn number 267.